0: Well, welcome. So glad that you're here today. Excited to be here as well as we continue our series um, in Exodus. Today, we're going to be looking at the final showdown, the final battle between God and Pharaoh. So before we get into that, I have a question for you. If you knew you had to go into a fight and you knew this was going to be a big fight and you were going to be outnumbered, outpowered, and you could take three people with you. What three people would you take with you? Who would you choose? Out of, out of your friends? Out of your family? I'm a pacifist. <laughs> you can't be a pacifist. This is, this is a make-believe scenario. Well, I've given it some thought, and this is who, this right here, this is who I choose. Oh, look at those ladies. They are mean and they are strong. They are some fierce ladies. Uh Sally, Mary, and Giovanna and I took a boxing class yesterday. It was awesome. Um I didn't know how much I would love punching things. Like I've never I've never boxed before. (laughs) Other than yeah, other than occasionally. I, I didn't know how like relaxing and, and stress relieving that was. And we look pretty serious in this picture. The next picture shows how much fun we had. We really did um, have a lot of fun. So today we're going to talk about a different kind of fight. Today we're going to look at Um, The final showdown, the final fight between God and Pharaoh, between God and the gods of Egypt. And before we go there, let's just review the backstory. If you've been with us this summer, you've heard, you've heard the story, but maybe you're just coming in after having been gone for a while, or or this is your first time here, Um, and, and the story begins in Genesis 12, when God promises to Abraham, he says, Abraham, I will make you into a great nation. It's just you and your wife right now, but I will turn you into a great nation, and I will bless you, and my purpose for blessing you is that you would go and you would be a blessing to all the peoples of the earth. And and this promise, this covenant was passed down from Abraham to his son Isaac, then to Jacob, and then Jacob had a bunch of sons, and one of his sons, Joseph, um, was sold into slavery into Egypt. And God was with Joseph, and God raised him up from a slave in a foreign country all the way to the second in command in Egypt. And eventually... Joseph brought his whole family to Egypt, and there they prospered, and they grew into a great nation. But years passed, and the pharaoh, who was, was friendly towards the Israelites, um, died, and new pharaohs came along, and they'd forgotten Joseph, and they'd forgotten what he had done. And eventually, they forced them into slavery a very cruel cruel practice. And and we pick up the story in Exodus where there's a Pharaoh, a king, um, on the throne who is very cruel and just relentless. And he he oppresses the Israelites. And God hears their cry and so God calls Moses to go. And to deliver them out of Egypt. And we talked about, Micah talked about how the first, in the first five plagues, we see the mercy of God. God giving Pharaoh chance after chance to let his people go. And Pharaoh is relentless and Pharaoh says no. And so God begins to use Pharaoh's hard heart and, and he further hardens his heart and he's using that evil for his purposes. And in the final plague, um, Pharaoh relents and says, okay, go. And, and after the devastation of the final plague, where every firstborn male um, in, in Egypt died, the Israelites were asked to leave by the Egyptians, and they were given all the supplies they need. They were given riches, um, gold and silver, and they were, they were given their freedom. And, and through this, the Israelites, who knew this was impossible who had lived in this cruelty and oppression for generations, saw the power of God, and they saw God do the impossible. And yet after they left, Pharaoh had a change of heart. And Pharaoh changes his mind. And so then this, today, we're in Exodus 14, and here's where the final showdown between God and Pharaoh God and the gods of Egypt happens. Before we read this story, let's, let's pray. Dear God, we just ask that you would be here today. Lord, as we read your scripture, as we seek to understand what lessons you have for us, God, that you would make it come alive for us. Lord, that we would see you and that we would be able to apply what message you have for us today. In Jesus' name, Amen. So today we're going to look at the story. It's it's an incredible narrative, and we're going to start in Exodus fourteen, verse five. When the king of Egypt was told that the people had fled, Pharaoh and his officials changed their minds about them and said, What have we done? We have let the Israelites go, we have lost their services. So he had his chariots made ready and took his army with him. He took 600 of the best chariots along with all the other chariots of Egypt with officers over all of them. The Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, so that he pursued the Israelites who were marching out boldly. So imagine the Israelites. They've been given their freedom. They're marching out boldly. Um, they estimate over 2 million people, so this huge mass of people and supplies, free for the first time in their life. And they're marching out and and after they've been gone a while, Pharaoh changes his mind. And and again, we as we've talked about in in, pa- in the past on past Sundays, the character of Pharaoh is revealed. His power and his thirst um, his pride, his, his disregard for God. He he was cruel and oppressive to the Israelites, and th- and in the plagues he allowed his people to suffer as well. He destroyed um, it destroyed their livelihood. It destroyed Egypt, and yet he's unrelenting, and he goes after them. Jumping down to verse ten, as Pharaoh approached, the Israelites looked up. And there were the Egyptians marching out after them. They were terrified, and they cried out to the Lord. They said to Moses, Was it that there were no graves in Egypt, that you brought us to the desert to die? What have you done to us by bringing us out of Egypt? Didn't we say to you in Egypt, Leave us alone, let us serve the Egyptians? it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the desert. So this happy, mass of people, celebrating on their walk to freedom, turn and they see this massive army, one of the more powerful armies of that day, all these chariots and horsemen, and their hearts sank. They're overwhelmed by fear, and then they turn on Moses, and and they accuse him of misleading them. Like what have you done to us? Why didn't you listen to us when we told you? Oh, just let us be slaves in Egypt. And I'm thinking, did they really say that? I kinda think this is a case of the of the good old days, you know? It hadn't been that long, but with the the imminent danger in front of them, they they were, anything was better. And so what the, the cruel situation they were in a few days ago, was better than this to them. They saw the Egyptian army, and they knew it was impossible for them to defeat the army. It was, it, it was truly impossible for the Israelites to defeat the Egyptian army. And, and they had seen God do some pretty amazing things. Yahweh, uh, the great I Am, the God who would called Moses. I mean, they had seen him control um, natural elements. They had seen him do signs and wonders. They had seen him um, control animals and darkness and life and death. And and this Yahweh had even um, made it come about that the oppressors gave them the supplies and riches they need to leave. But in their minds, even having done all that, that Egyptian army, it was too... It was too powerful. It was too much for this God that really they were just getting to know. And they gave up hope. In verse 13, the story continues. Moses answered the people, Do not be afraid. Stand firm and you will see the deliverance of the Lord. You will see the deliverance the Lord will bring you today. The Egyptians you see today, you will never see again. The Lord will fight for you. You need only be still. The Lord will fight for you. You need only be still. Then the Lord said to Moses, why are you crying out to me? Tell the Israelites to move on. Raise your staff and stretch out your hand over the sea to divide the water so that the Israelites can go through the sea on dry ground. Jumping down to verse 18. The Egyptians will know that I am the Lord. Then I will gain glory through Pharaoh, his chariots, and his horsemen. So here God's purpose comes to the forefront says the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord. He wants everyone to know who he is. As he's battling the gods of Egypt, he wants everyone to know that I am the Lord. It uses the phrase when I gain glory for myself through Pharaoh to gain glory for himself. I mean God is glorious. We can't give him more glory. So, what does that mean to gain glory? He's referring to, to his glory and his power being displayed for all to see. And then, verse 14, my favorite verse in here says, The Lord will fight for you. You need only be still. So, the final battle is about to happen between God, Yahweh, and and Pharaoh and the gods of Egypt. And the Lord will fight, and his power and his glory will be displayed. And God tells Moses, stretch out your hand, and he tells the Israelites, move on towards the sea. Verse 19. Then the angel of God, who had been traveling in front of Egypt's army, withdrew and went behind them. The pillar of cloud also moved from in front and stood behind them, coming between the armies of Egypt and Israel. Throughout the night, the cloud brought darkness to one side and light to the other. So neither went near the other all night long. Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and all that night the Lord drove back the Lord... uh, the. All that night, the Lord drove the sea back with a strong east wind and turned it to dry land. The waters were divided, and the Israelites went through the sea on dry ground uh, with a wall of water on their right and a wall of water uh, on their left. And we see the supernatural power of God. We see his glory being displayed. I'm super curious about the cloud of uh, the pillar, of cloud on one side and fire on the other, bringing darkness to one side and light to the other. I wonder how big it was. I wonder how loud the fire was. And then the strong winds kick up. And and the water starts moving. We see that the Lord fights. For Israel, doing what is truly impossible for them to do for themselves, but it's very possible for God. The Lord will fight for you. You need only be still. I'm curious about the phrase be still. So I see God fighting, but often when I think of being still, uh, and being still before the Lord, I think of meditating and quiet, sitting, sitting in a field by myself and being super calm and peaceful. And I love that. And I want more of that. And God, God calls us to be still in that way um, before him sometimes. But I don't think this environment was like that. Like this night was chaos. Um, you had this huge pillar of cloud and fire crackling um, there 's the wind, and so just the natural elements are loud. You have over two million people camped, and they 've just been given the order to move on towards the sea, so they have to break camp and wrangle the kids and go that way. I wonder if they heard the army behind the behind the pillar of cloud. Like, there's a lot going on. So, so what does it mean to be still before the Lord, especially on a chaotic night like this? I believe that means to, to pause and with, and have the presence of mind and the presence of heart to, to just put a pause on the frantic, what am I going to do now? And, and to, to rely on God and to look for what he's doing, to witness his power, and then to follow his leading in the midst of that chaos. So what does it mean to be still before God when you're in a, in a situation that's crazy? It's, it's to rely on God to watch and witness his mighty power, and then to follow his leading in that seemingly impossible situation. And this is what happens to the Israelites. Here's the end of this story. Verse 23. The Egyptians pursued them, and all of Pharaoh's horses and chariots and horsemen followed them into the sea. And during the last watch of the night, the Lord looked down from the pillar of fire and cloud at the Egyptian army and threw it into confusion. He jammed the wheels of the chariots so they had difficulty driving. And the Egyptians said, let us get away from the Israelites. The Lord is fighting for them against Egypt. And God said, I will gain glory for myself. My, my power, my glory will be revealed to all people and the Egyptians say the Lord is fighting for them. Verse 26. Then the Lord said to Moses, "Stretch out your hand over the sea so that the waters may flow back over the Egyptians and the chariots and the horsemen." Moses stretched out his hand over the sea and at daybreak the sea went back into place. The Egyptians were fleeing towards it and the Lord swept them into the sea. The waters flowed back and covered the chariots and the horsemen and the entire army of Pharaoh that had followed the Israelites into the sea. Not one of them survived. But the Israelites went through the sea on dry ground with a wall of water on their right and on their left. In that day, the Lord saved Israel from the hands of the Egyptians. And Israel saw the Egyptians lying dead on the shore. When the Israelites saw the mighty hand of the Lord displayed against the Egyptians, the people feared the Lord and put their trust in him and in Moses, his servant. So, the final battle, the final showdown here, with this supernatural pillar of fire and cloud, with the strong winds that have parted the sea and dried the seabed, all this going on. And Pharaoh still decides to follow the Israelites into the sea. His heart is still that bent against God, that he follows the Israelites. And Yahweh, the one true God, sweeps them away, and not one of them survive. So I'm going to pause the story right there. Um, As a kid, I loved watching cartoons, okay? And... And we we all, it's like you start, you see the beginning of a cartoon and you can totally predict the end. There's always a good guy and there's a bad guy and they're fighting and eventually it always, it comes to the point where you, it looks like the good guy's going to lose and the bad guy is going to be victorious. But then how, however they do it, the good guy always comes, wins, he rises up or she rises up and defeats the bad guy. And the bad guy's destroyed. And I remember as a kid, you know holding my breath, those moments when it looks like the good guy's going to die. And then I just remember like, "Yes, you' victorious!" And just cheering when the little whatever character you know that's good wins. When I read this story and come to this part where not one of them survives. I don't feel like cheering. I feel like lamenting. and i think I think it's okay to lament for the Egyptians. and it's okay to lament for Pharaoh, for his the hardness of his heart, to lament for how he oppressed the Israelites and hurt them, to lament for the Egyptian people who were hurt because of Pharaoh and his arrogance and pride, to lament the loss of life here. I believe that God did what he had to do in this situation, but I don't think he enjoyed it. I mean, God created all people, and he loves them all. So I believe the situation needed to happen, but it hurt the heart of God who loves every one of us so dearly. It's okay to lament there, but as we look at the rest of the story, it's okay to also rejoice because without lifting a single weapon, the Israelites are saved. Verse 31 said, When the Israelites saw the mighty hand of the Lord displayed against the Egyptians, the people feared the Lord and put their trust in him and in Moses, his servant. You see, our God is a God who fights for his people. Our God is a God who is powerful enough to deliver people who are in bondage. He did mighty, mighty wonders for Egypt. And he still does mighty, mighty wonders for his people today. He is capable of accomplishing the impossible, because what is impossible for us is possible for him. So as we begin to reflect on this story, this this beautiful narrative, and and begin to think about application for our life, um, let's think about this God who delivers. We we may not be a nation um, enslaved to another nation, right now, like the Israelites were. But there's plenty of bondage in our world, and there's plenty of bondage in our life. You see, there's a spiritual battle going on all around us. In Ephesians 6.12, it says that our battle is not against flesh and blood, but our battle is against the spiritual forces of evil around us. In First Peter 5, 8, it says, Be alert and sober-minded. Sober your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour. And he will do anything he can to keep us from being still before the Lord and letting the Lord fight for us. So, so what do our battles look like? What do your battles look like? What does my battle look like? What does our bondage look like? It can take on many forms and maybe it's anxiety and it's just this constant fight, this struggle, this bondage to anxiety and worry. Maybe it, maybe it looks like depression in your life. Maybe it's destructive habits or addictions that trying to fight and, and they're just, they keep coming back. Maybe it's a feeling of worthlessness, uh, uh, not being good enough, the constant yearning to prove oneself, or the fear of failure, or the fear of appearances and what others will think, and and of us. And then there's just this little word that we really dislike, but it's very real. Sin. See, there's sin in our lives. And sin is, is doing things that we know we ought not to do. And Paul describes it well in Romans um, 7.15. He says, I, I do not understand what I do. The, it's, he says, for what I want to do, I do not do. And what I hate, I do. This constant struggle, this bondage. And the enemy wants us to look at our struggles and look at our sins like the Israelites looked at the Egyptian army with just dismay and hopelessness and and this feeling like it's over and there's nothing I can do about it. And yet, verse 14 is still true today. The Lord will fight for you. You need only be still. The Lord will fight for us. We need only be still. It's all about grace. This idea that God is in our corner. God will fight for us. And God came down to earth in human form in the person of Jesus Christ, who was perfectly holy and perfectly righteous and sinless. And he took our sin. And he took the consequence of our sin, and he took the the bondage of sin, that hold that sin has on us, those chains. And he took that upon himself, and he died on the cross to to defeat sin and Satan for us, and to deliver us from that bondage. And then to to just make very clear that he had complete victory over it, and over Satan, and over death. He rose from the dead. And he holds out his hands to us, and he says, I will fight for you. Will you be still before me? Will will you be still? Because I'm here to fight for you. And God is powerful to defeat whatever comes our way, powerful enough to, to do the impossible, powerful enough to transform hearts, to to heal wounds, and to send us out, even broken and imperfect as we are, to accomplish his mission and his purpose in the world today. We need only be still. So what does that mean for us today? We need only be still. It's not a call to inaction, and it's not a call to to apathy. Rather, it's a call to rely on God, to witness what God is doing, to look for it and to see it and to acknowledge it, and then to follow his leading. I love the words of Jesus in Matthew 11, as he describes what happens when we come to him. Matthew 11, verse 28, he says, "'Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, "'and I will give you rest. "'Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, "'for I am gentle.'" and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. My yoke is easy, and my burden is light. See, being still before the Lord, coming to him, relying on him, witnessing what he's doing, and and following him, doing that, in doing that, we find rest for our souls. This deep-seated sense of peace and purpose. And Jesus says, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And by yoke and burden, he's referring to his, his teachings, his way of life. Um, and they're not easy because we can do them flippantly or because we can do them without, with, with little effort, but they're easy and light because they bring freedom from our bondage. They bring deliverance. They bring hope. You see, Jesus offers hope when no one else can. Jesus offers hope when nothing else can. And grace means we don't have to earn it, that it's freely given. Romans 10, verse 9 says, If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe with your heart that God raised him from the dead, then you will be saved. It's turning to God and saying, I believe in Jesus. I rely on you. Show me what you are doing. Let me witness your work. Show me what to do. Let me follow your leading. And please, God, fight my battles. Fight my battles. So our invitation today is to be still before the Lord and to let him fight for us. And maybe today for the first time in your life, maybe you're here today and, and you're wondering, oh, maybe I should do that. I should, I should give him, commit myself to Jesus. We would love to talk with you. I'm sure there's so many people here that would love to pray with you. If you're if you're wanting to commit your life for the first time to Jesus today, and it's amazing what he will do in, a, in someone's life who's committed to him. Maybe you're here today, and you've already committed yourself um, to Jesus. He, he already is your Lord, and you've been walking with him, but you feel a bit bogged down. You feel bogged down either by struggles or by sin that just won't go away. And I just want to remind you that like Pharaoh who was relentless. The devil is relentless. Our enemy prowls around like a roaring lion, trying to get at us still. This is the spiritual battle that we're in. And yet there's a really encouraging and hopeful thought here, a truth that that we have to talk about. We may be in battles right now, but the outcome of the war has already been determined by Jesus on the cross. The devil has already been defeated and sin has been conquered. The devil just hasn't conceded yet. He hasn't surrendered. He hasn't given up yet. But the war has already been won. So, if you're in a difficult season right now, maybe you're facing some hard things or some struggles, I want you to know that the Lord fights for us. We need only be still. And in Jesus, we find freedom and we find hope and we find rest. And what is completely impossible for us is totally possible for God. So, let's remember this week the Lord fights for us. We need only be still. Let's pray. Dear God, we just thank you for who you are. Lord, we thank you for your love and your mercy. God, we thank you for how you just wrap us up in your arms. Lord, and, and you're gentle with us. And Lord, you're also a mighty warrior who goes before us and you fight our battles. And, and God, we're just in awe of you. We come today, and we just ask that you would help us to be still before you, that you would help us this week to rely on you, that you would open our eyes that we might witness the mighty things that you are doing around us and in us, and, Lord, that you would teach us to follow your lead, even in the chaos of life. God, we love you, and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.